Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the show, I am so happy to say we have Amber Illig, founding general partner at the Council Fund. Though she's done a lot of other super impressive, really interesting things prior to that, which admittedly I'm not going to ask her that much about. Amber, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yay, I'm thrilled to have you here. Are you ready to dive in? Yes, let's go for it. Hell yeah, let's go for it. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Acrisure, a fintech and global leader in insurance, real estate services, cyber services, asset and wealth management, and more. Their promise of providing an extraordinary advantage is just what businesses and people need today when you consider, well, um, everything. The company combines human and high tech to help businesses and people grow and protect what they work so hard to build. And they really, really know growth. In less than a decade, they've grown 100x from 38 million to nearly 4 billion in revenue. Sound interesting? Go to www.acrisure.com to request a quote or find a solution. Amber Illig is the founding general partner at the Council Fund, where she backs operators turned founders as they transform traditional industries. She invests at pre-seed and seed stage in vertical SaaS, fintech, and healthcare companies. Prior to running the Council Fund, Amber was head of operations at Atmos and led go-to-market initiatives at Cruise. Earlier on in her career, she spent time at Snap, Apple, and Eli Lilly in various operations leadership roles. Amber Illig, welcome to Non-Technical. Thank you so much. I'm super Yay! excited. Yes, I'm so happy to have you here. I love having friends on the pod. You and I are, of course, friends in real life, but we became friends from the internet. <laughs> yes, exactly. I always think back to how we first met each other, and I can never remember like what was the first moment, but I know Buka had something to do with it, my dog. I definitely think your incredible Chow Chow had something to do with it. Bucatini, who is one of the cutest dogs I've ever seen in my life. She is insanely cute. We still have cute emergencies every day over here. <laughs> I love a cute emergency. I think I must have spotted your dog on Instagram. I'm sure we had mutuals in our network somewhere, but I think we became Instagram friends. And then we transitioned to real-life friendship, but I don't remember how. It just it happened very naturally. Yes, it did. I think at the time that there was the Buka connection, you had yes. just had one of your first viral videos, and somehow I may have oh, seen that. And mm. we started talking about that, and then you were like, oh my gosh, your dog is so cute. I don't exactly know how it happens, but that seems to make sense in my mind. That makes sense in my mind, too. And if it's not, who we'll knows? That. We're yeah. the only people that would know. <laughs> Exactly. So that's officially canon now. That's how we met. I think if you live in SF, it's good to have friends in New York and vice versa. Yes. Agreed. Lots of travel between the two. Uh, it's always so good to have people that you like in other cities so that you can really get the firsthand account of what's new, you know? Truly. Although I will say New York has so many people in it now that have moved there that it's like almost overwhelming when you go I, there. I know what you so, mean. Yes. Yeah. That's probably how you feel when you come back to SF. That is how I feel when I come back to SF, though a lot of people have made the move, but a lot of them in New York. Okay, so tell me this, Amber, probably a hard question, but how did you spend your last day off? My last day off, wow. Okay, so <laughs> that's hard because I am, I was just off. I just came back from maternity leave. Yes, congratulations. But I'm trying to figure out if I consider that time off because I took some time off right before I actually had the baby because for medical reasons, we had to schedule an induction. So I knew it was happening on a certain day. There was a period of time that felt a little bit like, okay, this is kind of like my last hurrah. What do I want to do yes, with my yes. time? 
My husband and I went to Pearl 6101, one of our favorite restaurants in Aww. San Francisco. My parents came over and we like frantically wrote down recipes for meals that we'd need frozen when we get back from the hospital. Packed like way too many things for the hospital. We were basically like moving okay. in. What was something you packed that you were like, I'm sure I'm going to need this and then not even a thought. Oh my gosh. So many things. We packed a diffuser. Literally every single person that you talk to that's had a baby tells you you need a specific item when you go to the hospital. So you end up with bags and bags of stuff. So we brought a diffuser with essential oils. Oh my gosh. What were the oils you chose? Lavender and clary sage because they apparently will, will start labor. Who knows oh, wow. if that's really true? Well, lavender is a very calming scent and sage is supposed to be like a cleansing scent. Yeah, it's like, even if it doesn't work, at least the room will smell nice. Someone told me to bring olive oil. I won't even explain what? why. No. <laughs> we did not use it. They were just like endless, endless oh things God. that we brought. And honestly, we did use a lot of it just because we were yeah. there for like 48 hours yeah. before the baby was born. Keep busy. Roast a chicken. I mean, you have the accoutrements, you know, have some sage yes. and some olive we, oil. We brought a sous vide. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love that. That would have been next level. That's great. Okay. So it sounds like you got some good family time in on your last day off. And how yes. did Pearl become your favorite restaurant? Honestly, it's just close to us. So it's kind of yeah, a go-to. I, I actually won't say it's my favorite restaurant in San Francisco. Mm. My favorite is Robin, which mm. is a sushi place. But Pearl 6101 is kind of just a family favorite just because it's so close to us. And it's great, like California and European type food. They change their menu seasonally. You can sit outside or inside and both are great experiences. We just love Pearl seems like it's been in San Francisco for a long time. So it's a bit of a staple. A staple. That's nice. Yes. What kind of restaurant orderer are you? Are you somebody that asks questions of the waiter? Are you more like you do research beforehand? You come in hot, you know exactly what you want. What's your vibe? So I am 100% that person that asks the waiter, what's their favorite thing on the menu every yeah. single time. Me and too. then I also have like two or three things that I'm picking between and I mm. ask them which thing they would pick. <laughs> and many times I end up picking the opposite of what they say. It, it's like hearing it makes it real for me. And I then know. I know what I want. I know it's toxic, but I can't stop. I don't think that's toxic. I completely understand. Sometimes you just need to hear someone say it out loud and then you're like, okay, no, I don't. I don't want the salmon. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that makes me feel better. Lately, I've been asking it like this. I'll say, is there anything on the menu you think we can't miss? That's a good one. That's a good one. Because then it's like, I'm not necessarily saying, oh, what's their personal favorite? Because we might not have the same taste. But then I'm making it more like, what's this place known for? What do people love here? Yeah, exactly. The problem is when they tell you that everything on the menu cannot be missed. And then you're like, what do I do with that? That is tough. Okay. So that sounds absolutely lovely. Is there a song that whenever you hear it totally takes you back in time? Absolutely. So honestly, this might be a one hit wonder that no one else knows. I actually don't know how popular it was at the time for real, but the artist is Kyla Lagrange and the song is called Cut Your Teeth. I've never heard of it. I don't know where I found this song, but I actually really like it. And okay. I was listening to it a lot in early 2015 when I moved to San Francisco. I was moving to San Francisco. I didn't know anyone in the state of California. I was moving here for wow. a job and it was this big adventure. And I just remember kind of as my life was taking off in San Francisco at mm. that time, um, I was listening to that song all the time and just a time where it's like, I'm in this new city. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm super excited. I'm like making 
maybe one new friend a week. Life is coming together. I just kind of felt like I had the whole world in front of me, but didn't really know what was happening. And that was exciting. Every single time I hear that song, which is like deep in my Spotify likes, I just have this rush of nostalgia to that early stage of moving here. How fun. That is such a nice feeling. I think I have the same thing with the song Coffee by Sylvan Esso. I was listening to that on repeat when I moved to San Francisco somehow. Wow. I don't know what it is about like listening to a song on repeat, probably because there's so many things changing in your life that you're like, this is the thing I can depend on right now. I know how this song goes. Yes. (laughs) That's great. Cool. Okay. Awesome. I'm going to have to look that song up because I've never heard of it. I find that there are also some random songs in my life that I know every word to, or I know super well, but it's because I got the song from some random place. Like a friend put it on a mix CD in high school. That's the story of my life. I feel like everything I like is a one hit wonder that no one else knows. And then I think things like Spotify make it like even easier for that to happen just because you start listening to a playlist and then they add songs on at the end and you're like, oh, I like that. And then you just, sometimes I don't even know who the artist is, but I just recognize the song because I'll hear it come on all the times. Especially lately with Spotify playlists, because I'll search for a playlist based on how I feel. I'll be like, morning chill. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. And then I hear the same songs like 300 times a week. Couldn't tell you oh, who yeah. to buy. No idea. Yeah, yeah, same. Maybe someday. <laughs> well, maybe yeah. someday I'll hear one of the songs and I'll be nostalgic for this moment because I'll be like, yeah. oh, that was that song I heard a million times and never learned the name of. Exactly. Amber, what is the tiniest hill that you're willing to die on? So something pretty inconsequential that you would just really go to bat for. The way that silverware is put in a dishwasher, I will die on that hill. And I don't know how you feel about it, but to me... When you put forks in in the dishwasher, the yes. side that you eat from should be facing up. Because of the way that it fans out, I feel like it won't be stuck against the other mm. forks. And it's more likely to get equal exposure to soap and water. Same thing with the spoons. But then okay. I think that the knives need to be the other way down. So Ooh, the part twist. that you cut from, I know, twist. the part that you cut from should be down because of a safety issue. Because you oh. don't want to like grab it out and be grabbing the blade. Okay. Even though normal knives aren't that sharp unless right. they're steak knives. I'm very picky about this. And these are things that you learn when you like move in with your significant other. <laughs> we have very opposite views on this point. Really? Yeah. He wants all the all the silverware facing down. I want half of it facing up and the other half sure. facing down. Sure. So sure. this is a hill that we've both been trying to die on, but you know, we're meeting somewhere in the middle. We both okay. do our own thing. Okay. Well, that's good. It's yes. good that you can meet somewhere in the middle of the hill. I have some questions. Also, I love this hill because It seems inconsequential, but it's actually, I think, very important because it impacts how clean your silverware are. Exactly, exactly. And that matters on a day-to-day basis. Yes. So do you find that when you put the forks pointy side down, for example, they just don't get as clean? Honestly, I can't tell. So this is all in my head. I I think I was probably taught this as a kid and now I'm (laughs) like so stuck on it, but I've never pulled a fork out that's been facing down and Mm. thought, oh my gosh, this fork looks dirty. But I can imagine if you had like 10 forks stuck in the same little compartment together back to back, there's no way that each surface would get cleaned. But maybe if you had like three and they're all kind of hanging their own direction, that's one thing. Okay, two things. It's very bold and brave of you to say, admittedly, you don't know if this gets them any clearer. Admittedly, I don't know. (laughs) This This is just a thing that I have, so. And I respect that 100%. I do want to throw something into the mix here, which is that is it possible the force of the water from the dishwasher moves the silverware around enough that even if it is pointy side down, they do get separated and clean? I appreciate that challenge. It could be possible. And I'm going to reflect on that. Food for thought. My thought is 
you and your husband could do a test. You would probably need a third party to help you with this. Yeah. But if you could do one load of dishes the way that you want, which is two thirds up, knives down. And then his way, which I don't know, is that all up? He wants them all up or all down? All down. Wow. And yet you two stay together. Incredible. (laughs) His reasoning is that the prongs on the fork are also sharp. So those should be facing down. And if those two are facing down, why not make the spoons face down as well? I see both sides. I'm more on your side of it. I would hope that anyone who's unloading the dishwasher is like cognitively aware of the fact that points exist on forks. But I think you should do a test. I think you should do a blind test though and have a third party conduct it, like have a friend come over. Yeah, it has to be a third party because this topic is way too charged. If I ever stay at your house again, (laughs) (laughs) I will happily arbitrate. Awesome. Good. That'll be fun. What's the most recent situation where you laughed the hardest? Okay, so um, the other night, well, basically like sometime this week, we placed an order from Amazon Prime. My husband placed it. I'm just saying that. (laughs) I'm sure that won't be relevant (laughs) later at all. (laughs) Yeah. Every now and then, once a week, our treat on the weekends will be like a frozen pizza from the grocery store. And we do bonza because it makes us feel a little more healthy. A little better. Yeah. Yeah. It's like chickpea crust and stuff. We were ordering from, I think, actually it was like Instacart, Gus's and um, they didn't have that pizza. Brian ordered a different pizza and it was a cauliflower crust pizza. So it was still in the healthy-ish category. When it showed up, it sat in our freezer for a couple days and then we were okay. like, okay, it's time for pizza night. Like yes. we don't have any time. We have a newborn in the house. We got to just like whip out the, these pizzas. He comes to me and he's like, Amber, these pizzas aren't looking very good. And I was like, what's wrong with them? And he's like, well, there's not much sauce and it doesn't look like there's much cheese. I thought about it for a second and I was like, is it possible you just ordered the cauliflower crust? (laughs) He's like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. These are just cauliflower crust. Oh my God. So then I was like, well, I think we have pizza sauce in our pantry somewhere. So he finds that and and we were like, yay, we're, we're good. We have pizza sauce, but do we yes. have cheese? Ooh. We looked in our fridge. We had like a little bit of Parmesan, but not okay. enough to really cover mm. a pizza. You would need a lot of Parm to cover a full pizza. Yeah. And so the only other form of cheese we had was string cheese. Hell yes. We pulled the string cheese out and I'm sitting here trying to like grate string <laughs> cheese because I was like, it's too messed up to just like String the cheese onto the I, pizza. What? I feel like that's a huge that's a huge opportunity because pulling the string is the best part. It is very satisfying, but I was like, it's just too weird for pizza. Okay. I was like, we that's have fair. to shred that's it, fair. but it was not shredding well. So it was just like random chunks. The pizza, the pizza was not that good, but I don't think it was on us. The cauliflower crust was yeah. was the the weak point. I was impressed with us for improvising, but as we were shredding that string cheese, we were having a good laugh. <laughs> God, that's so sweet. I also love the idea that it's not that your husband came to you and said, oh, I realized I accidentally ordered a cauliflower crust alone. He said, I think there's something off. (laughs) Yes. Pizza with no sauce and no cheese is no good. That's great. You improvised so well. Chopped level improvisation. I know. That's what I told him. I was like, I feel like we're on a cooking show where you go into a pantry and they're like, you have these five ingredients. Yes. String cheese, String- cauliflower, <laughs> and tomato sauce. You did a great job. We made it happen. I'm legitimately very impressed. If you could be on a reality competition show, like a cooking show, what kind of show would you want to be on? I actually would not want to be on the kind where you are competing against the clock because that seems really stressful. (laughs) It does seem stressful. I really like the one 
one. I can't remember the guy, but he goes in and he like flips the restaurants. I wouldn't be able to do what he does because I don't know what it takes to run a a successful restaurant. It's like something impossible. Like kitchen impossible? Yeah, restaurant impossible, something like that. Okay, something like that. So the kitchens are in total disarray, like the business isn't functioning and then he, he turns it around. Yeah, exactly. And I think I could maybe like at least help them do some analysis on the business side, but I would not, you know, be able to taste something and say, this is too salty. If you add X, Y, Z to it, it'll be perfect. But I like that sort of style. I think that would be fun if I was good at it. And I also just love the classic cooking show, cooking reality show, where it's just people like going through a recipe, pulling the stuff out and showing everybody how to make it. There's something just calming about that. And actually when I was young, probably in like fifth grade or something, we did record a cooking show. So this is- What? Yeah. I have no idea where the footage is. I hope that it never sees the light of day, but we were very serious about it. So in some ways, that's been a dream of mine. Yeah. In some ways, it's been at least a part of your life for a long time. What prompted you in fifth grade to make a cooking show? I don't know. I think I just enjoyed the, the creativity of cooking, and I was always doing weird things with my recipes. I guess this is a theme. I was putting <laughs> tips on my sandwiches and things like that. Oh, nice. Probably not the only person that does that, but... But yeah, I just loved the creativity of yeah. combining different ingredients together. I was by no means like a prodigy little chef as a kid. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing, but it was just fun because it's this whole world of ingredients that you're discovering as a kid. Whereas now as an adult, I feel like we know what they all are, but yeah. it was fun. Well, some of us know what they all are. Some of us still have the innocence of a child in the kitchen like myself. <laughs> That's so fun. Did you used to make stuff like that? Did you and your friends perform or was that kind of like a one-off thing? Oh, no. It was a one-off thing. It was highly amateur. This went nowhere. Oh my gosh. You have to find that footage. I bet it's adorable. I will. There's definitely a lost video somewhere in the world. I don't know where of my best friend Rachel and I doing an extra credit video representing the first Thanksgiving, if only someday. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. (laughs) What a time. Those are gems. Tell me this. Do you have any, what you would consider truly useless talents, things you're good at that you don't really, there's really no point. I have a lot of things that I'm okay at, but not good enough. Interesting. I'm going to challenge the not good enough, but that's okay. For whom? (laughs) I'm good, but not like I would not do it professionally. And I'm decent. I like to, photography is one of them where I like to scratch the surface. I own a DSLR. I enjoy shooting with it, but I also take like the lazy route and I use some of the like cheat settings. Um, But then I'll randomly go down the rabbit hole and relearn how to shoot in manual which I do just often enough that I have to brush up on it every single time. Yep, I know that life. So that's an example where it's like, I could have gone really deep on a subject, but I just wanted to know like the basics and then dive in when I want to. Sure. But useless, okay, this isn't useless, but it it is something I'm surprisingly good at and it it provides little value, which is parallel parking. Whoa, Amber, that is an incredibly useful talent. It is in San Francisco, not everywhere, not everywhere. So I grew up in Indiana in the suburbs. And so in the suburbs of Indianapolis, you drive everywhere. I think I just learned how to parallel park really well when I was young, which is also weird because there are a lot of parking lots in Indianapolis. So I don't know why I was having to parallel park a lot, but I am surprisingly good at it. That's amazing. Are you a confident parallel parker? I am a confident parallel parker. I know I'm going to crush it as I'm pulling into the spot. Wow. It has helped me get into these tiny little garages in San Francisco whenever I've needed to do that which is a little bit insane. I'm super impressed. So that's my little value add to the world. That's like so far from useless. I would love to be able to parallel park. Did Cruz use your parallel parking skills as the model for the self-driving cars? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. No, no. 
But that would have been – I don't even know if they do parallel park at this point. When they do, yeah. they're going to call you back in. They're going to be like, yeah. get Amber in here. We need to program this thing to parallel park. The perfect pillow parking job. That's amazing. And on the note of things that you like but are not necessarily like super into, I know that you like architecture and the ballet and things like that, but you don't consider yourself super expert in those in those yes. fields. Are they things yes. you just enjoy like with friends or at home or were you into them when you were younger? These are right along the lines of things that I enjoy, but I haven't dug deep into just sure. like photography. Ballet, I got into a couple years back because a friend of mine always gets tickets to the SF Ballet Gala. And living in San Francisco, I'm sure you know, as somebody who used to live here, I love dressing up and you never get to do it because um, everyone, when I moved here, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm moving to a city. Like people are finally going to be like committed to fashion. And then I got here and it was like all Lululemon and Patagonia. So the SF Ballet Gala is like once a year, and it's really cool because they showcase little clips of different ballets that they're going to do all season. So you see a lot of the different ballet teams come in. See, I don't even know what they're called. I'm calling them teams. (laughs) Do I know? Uh, Ensemble, maybe? I don't know. Ensemble. That sounds great. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. I believe it's a French word originally, so it's even better. So you basically get to see all these different clips and decide which ones you would like to go to and see the whole show of later that Mm -hmm. year. As a novice like me, you can kind of pick up the factors that you like or dislike. Like some of them are all based on formation. Some of them are more modern and interpretive dance style. That's really fun. But what's really fun about it is you get to dress up in black attire. It's like very different than the everyday in San Francisco. That's what was like the hook that got me in. You have a reason to wear black tie. Yeah. And then once I went to the gala, I was like, this is really cool. And there actually aren't that many people, that many young people that are going to the ballets. I would actually love to see more people our age end up going to the ballet because that's a huge thing they're trying to do right now because most people there are like in their 70s and 80s. It's cool to get a group together and go to different ballet shows. And it's really fun to watch too. It's honestly insane to see what these dancers are able to do with their bodies. It's incredible. You can get me to say yes. To most things, if you call it a gala. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Oh, we're going to a gala. Yeah. Like, it's fantastic. How could you say no to that invitation? You can't. You absolutely can't. Absolutely not. Amber, what's your most used emoji? Okay, my most used emoji is the, like, hands up, the two hands up. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Hands raised? Yeah, they're, like, hands raised. Like, yes. okay. saying good job or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think I like that one because I'm a hype woman. Yes, I've been known yes. to, like, overhype things, so I have to actually cut myself back. Okay, If I'm introducing a friend to another friend and I know they're going to get along, I have to like really, really just keep it inside and just bring them together and not make it too weird. And similarly, like when I have friends that are going through like big career changes and things like that, I'm like all over it and I love to hype them up. That's my big thing. I'm always like so excited for what what's going on with other people. I love that. I feel the same way, but I don't think you should dull your hype at all. I say overhype it. I appreciate that. I used to just hype with no limits whatsoever. One friend, when I lived in Indianapolis, I was mm-hmm. living with my roommate who was a friend from college. And another friend was moving into town, basically. And I knew that they would get along. They both loved running and they were both very career driven. And I kept telling them, you have to meet my friend, Monica. Monica, you have to meet my friend, Kelsey. You guys are going to love each other. And I like kept saying it again and again. And Kelsey sat me down and she had an intervention with me. And she said, you can't hype this much because it it could be awkward. But I mean, she was joking. She wasn't like being mean about it, but she was like, the hype needs to be toned down. So at that point, I I became (laughs) self-aware of my hype. Maybe I was taking it too far. 
I understand that. Much to unpack. First of all, that's a good friend to keep it real with you and say, hey, there's a lot of hype happening here. I guess I should start by saying I'm fully about to project how I feel, which is I love to introduce two friends. But if they live in the same city that I live in, I believe I should have right of first refusal to hang out with them if the two of them are ever planning to hang out. Alexis, I agree 1,000%. Oh, yes, Amber. Okay, you get it. <laughs> you are the connection point. Therefore, yes, you have first, that's right. first right of refusal. And maybe I'm not available, and that's completely fine. I would never say right. rearrange it so I can be there, but I would right. at least on the first several hangs, okay, the first few hangs, I should be a part of it. Agreed, 100%. Good. It's, okay, it's great. weird I think if not. Right. It's very it's weird It's weird if not. If not. Yeah. Thank you. God. Okay, good. Because I love introducing my friends to each other. It's just I still have to be a part of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You have to be in the center of it. (laughs) That's right. Okay, good. I'm glad. I promise if you ever introduce me to someone that I will absolutely invite you, even knowing that we are likely not in the same city, I'll be like, Amber, just so you know, this date, can you make it? I appreciate that level of respect. And I would do the same for you. Thank you. Good. I'm glad that we're aligned. (laughs) That's a good friend. (laughs) It is. Okay. Here's a two-part question for you. The first part is who would play you in a movie about your life? And the the second part is what chapter of your life would make for the most compelling movie plot? The actor that would play me the first two people that came to mind were purely based on how they look because okay. different people have told me at different points in my life that my doppelganger was Jennifer Aniston and then Katie oh, Holmes. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. I could see both of those. I really don't see them. Neither? Maybe like my hair, maybe like sometimes, but I'm not going to like be out here being like, I look exactly like Jennifer Aniston because that woman doesn't age. You know what I mean? I 100% know what you mean. Yeah. And I agree with you because whenever people tell me I look like an actress. I feel weird repeating that. I'm self-conscious that it will come off as me saying, I believe I look like this beautiful actress. Yes, exactly. But this is a safe space. Yes, exactly. So I'm going to go with Jennifer Aniston just okay. because I also feel like she's she's tried and true, bread and butter of Hollywood yeah. classic. It'll be a huge box office draw for us. Yeah, exactly. She would play me Honestly, I think I have seen some crazy things in tech that I'm probably not going to share in here, (laughs) but that would be what the movie would be about. It would be just like literally Silicon Valley, the show, but in a movie form. Yes. Okay, great. I love the idea of Jennifer Aniston in a Silicon Valley-esque film about some chapter of your career, which I think would be fantastic. Yes. And I would probably mash together like all different like hilarious things that have happened throughout my career where you're just like, this is so cliche. I can't believe that I'm viewing it with my own two eyes. That's great. I mean, yeah, that's my life. I feel you. (laughs) If you could choose one social nicety to do away with forever, like holding the door for someone or saying bless you, what would it be? I actually like the two that you said a lot. Like them as in, I would do away with bless you for sure. What do you think is the socially acceptable number of sneezes in a row? Two. I think three starts getting a little weird. I think three is the cutoff. I think you can sneeze three times in a row and I won't be annoyed. And then I cannot help it. I know the other person can't control it. But after sneeze three, I can't handle it anymore. It's a lot. It's a lot of sneezing. Funny enough, my dog feels very strongly about this as well. Really? Especially when my husband sneezes, she she like whines and she cries. And we're Seriously? like, we don't know if she doesn't, if she's annoyed with him that he's yeah. sneezing <laughs> or if she just cannot handle the noise. So maybe it's like a frequency that she is like bad for she her, but like sounds it. normal to us. Is she okay with one sneeze? She is not okay with one sneeze. Not even one sneeze. Her cutoff is one. Wow. Not okay with it. You're in a no sneeze zone. I love your dog so much. 
Bucatini is also the honestly one of the top three names I've ever heard for a dog. I'm only not saying the number one name because on the off chance, it has to be top three at least. Incredible. Oh, wow. Are you saving your your top number one name for a future dog? I feel weird making any kind of super declarative statement like best. Yeah, but I but honestly, no other dog names are coming to mind. It might be the best dog name I've ever heard, Amber. Oh my gosh, I love it because it's perfect on every dimension. Bucatini. It's adorable. It's so esoteric, but like very descriptive. It's not just like you named your dog pasta. It's like a very specific type of of pasta. And then on top of that, it shortens to buca, which is so cute. Yes, buca buca is the best. And also we did our honeymoon in um, Italy right before we got her. It was a good theme too. I was like, I feel good about using an an Italian pasta name. Oh my God. And she is truly one of the cutest dogs I've ever seen. I really like the way that she likes attention. I admire that. She does. She likes it from afar. She likes to be admired. It's hilarious. We were walking down the street the other day and someone was like, oh my gosh, your dog is so cute. And she knows it. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause she will like, kind of like look at people and smile and like give them this look. So it's funny. She's like a runway model dog. Yeah. She just knows. She deserves it. She deserves all eyes on her, honestly. Yes. Have you ever been the last to realize something that everybody else seems to know? Many times. So this happens to me often. Like I'll hear a word I've never heard before. And I'm like, what does that mean? I look it up and then I start hearing it everywhere. It's like everybody's been using this word for all of time. And I just now realized it. And the other thing that, that this reminds me of, I'm veering a little bit from the question, but I at least once a week have to Google something like, is it bear or bear? Or oh is my God. It- For like your cross to bear or whatever, right? To bear arms. Yeah. Bear with me. I'll be yes. like, is it B-E-A-R or is it B-A-R-E? And yes. I have to keep looking it up. And then today I did one that was like in its own right. I was like, is it in its own R-I-T-E? Oh, Which I don't I- even know what that means, but I've seen right. it before. Or is it in, R- in your own R-I-G-H-T? I think... It's in its own R-I-G-H-T. Me too. I, right? I think so. After I Googled, I, I mean, it was the top search results. So I yes. think it's R-I-G-H-T. Okay. And then for rite of passage, that I actually do think is R-I-T-E. R-I-T-E. You're right. Yes. Though I don't know what that word means. I don't know what rite is other than the context of rite of it passage. It sounds like Shakespearean or something. There's something going on there. It's, wow. It seems like it must be old. This makes me feel better, Amber, because I do this stuff all the time. And I'm like, I just looked this up a few months ago. How have I forgotten? I know. It's terrible. Cross to bear is the one that I look up constantly. Well, at least hopefully we both got no and no down and your and your (laughs) down. The basics. Right. Exactly. No career ruining mix-ups, but God, it drives me crazy. Yeah. And we know to Google. You know, I'm not going to leave it to chance. No. (laughs) Never. Oh my God. What a faux pas. I can't imagine. Another example of this, by the way, for me is that I thought it was espresso for a really long time. Mm. Oh my gosh, yes. I feel like, like I have I, words like that that I'm like drawing a blank on, but just from even like growing up in a different part of the US. Oh, where people yeah. Are like, oh, you say this word really weird. And, and I'm like, really? But yeah. What was the biggest surprise to you when you moved from the Midwest to the West Coast? Well, other than Patagonia's and Lululemon yes. <laughs> yoga pants being like the main thing that everybody wore all the time. I think the main thing that was, I don't know if I want to say surprising, but just different was I think when I was leaving the the Midwest, everybody was like, oh, California is so expensive. I don't know how you can move there. And not in terms of like how you can financially move there because I was moving there for a job. But, you know, you move there, you get less space. They were more just like, how and why would you ever want to do that? Like yeah. move to an area with less space that costs more and yeah. 
whatever. I just decided, you know what? I'm going to just do it. I'm young. And I was at an age where you don't need that much space. So I was like, I'm young. I'm going to do this. And, and yeah, like I got my Craigslist roommate and lived in a two bedroom apartment. I was fortunate for that. I was not living in a a living room with a curtain, which I had, I made friends that were. And so, yeah, I think what was surprising to me was that it was just like fun and it was worth it for that period of life. Mm. And I'm still in San Francisco now and the situation's less dire than when I first moved here on the entry level (laughs) salary. I think that was what was just most surprising to me is like, you know, there's this impression even back then that it was going to be like this terrible place. But then you get here and it's, you're surrounded by mountains, water, hikes everywhere. And everybody's just bearing with these things together because they want to be here. And there's that cool energy. I know San Francisco's gotten a lot of fleck over the past few years, but I still kind of think back to that time and like how contrasted it was from where I'd moved from and still very special to me. Oh, it's such a beautiful place. It really is. It's gorgeous. What is your most irrational fear? My most irrational fear is honestly of heights. I don't know where it came from, but yeah, I used to go to like summer camps when I was in fourth grade, fifth grade, and they would always have us go on the zip line. And I would be the kid that was, we would have to climb up this really, really tall ladder to this deck, not ladder. It was like a staircase to this deck that was really high off the ground. And I just remember sitting on the edge and being that kid that was just like crying, like, I'm not going, like, I don't want to go. And then there would always be like a camp counselor consoling me and being like, you can do it or we can go down if you don't want to. And then there was like the embarrassment of like, I have to do it because all my friends are watching me, but then also the the fear. And I don't know what it is because it's not like there's something running in through my mind where it's like the floor is going to break or something. Yeah. But it's just looking over dangling edges freaks me out. So I can be in airplanes. I can be in enclosed spaces. But when I get close to an edge and I'm looking over, or even if I'm somewhere where there's like a glass floor and it's really high off the ground, just looking down freaks me out. Glass floor is hard. My fear is who didn't do their job the day that you were supposed to check that this is all functioning. You know what I mean? What was the safety testing that happened with this thing? Yes, that's always my concern. Okay, Amber, we're going to take a quick break and I'll be right back. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Acrisure, a global fintech leader with a broad product and service offering specializing in intelligence-driven financial services across insurance, real estate services, cyber services, asset and wealth management, and more. Sound familiar? Acrisure recently made waves by partnering with the Pittsburgh Steelers for naming rights to their home field. Here we go, Steelers. Yes, football. I get it. The company combines human and high tech to help businesses and people grow and protect what they worked so hard to build. And they're no stranger to growth either. Increasing revenue by 100x in less than a decade, expanding into 15 countries and operating as the sixth largest insurance broker in the world and the largest independent real estate services company in America. Ready for an extraordinary advantage? Go to www.acrisure.com to request a quote or find a solution. And we're back with Amber Illig, the founding general partner at the Council Fund. Amber, we have arrived at a very exciting moment in this episode of Non-Technical. Are you ready? I am so ready. You're so ready. Hell yeah. We've arrived at the lightning round. Let's go. My first question for you which I thought I knew the answer to, and then I thought about it more, and I now I don't think I know the answer. Coffee or tea? Ooh, okay. Tea, but it has to be matcha. Okay, I thought- Otherwise, coffee. Right. Okay, so it's only yeah. matcha or it's coffee. Yes. 
exactly. Are you a matcha latte person? I am a matcha latte person. I like them iced, but I my second favorite is hot matcha lattes. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. Matcha latte is like a fabulous phrase. It really is. It's beautiful. Is it fun to say? Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it really is nice. Matcha latte. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Do you add anything to it? Any sweetener? I add a little like tinge of honey or maple yeah. syrup if I'm making it at home. Oh, yeah. And that's if I'm using like unsweetened oat milk. Okay. I think oatly has some sugar in it. And so it yeah. already tastes sweet. But if I feel I'm like just... you need something to sweeten it up. Personally, my mom drinks it plain, but I, I find it a little bitter. It is very bitter. And sometimes when I'm like in a real like matcha phase where I have yeah. had it for days on end for months yeah. on end, I'll start to get to the point where I'm like, I don't even need the honey anymore. I'll drink it straight with mm. just unsweetened oat milk. But but then if I take a little break from it and come back, I need I need to cut that bitterness with something. Yes, so it's definitely so an acquired taste. Amber, do you have a favorite board game? I do. So I have a new favorite board game. I'm so happy to hear that because you like like complex, like strategic board games, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. The more complicated to learn, the better because it's kind of like a challenge and a puzzle to figure out. And you start out just feeling like, oh my gosh, I could never learn this. And it's almost like disorienting because there's so many different like weird rules and stuff. And then and like 30 minute YouTube videos just to learn how to play the game or to set yep. it up, that sort of thing. And the first game that I ever played like that was Dune and it was based okay. off of the movie. And there's a new board game and there's an old board game. This is okay. the new one okay. that was made to align with like the launch of the movie that came out. That game is awesome. So it's kind of like my old favorite and it's the first mm. one that got me into this category. But my latest favorite is yes. called Wingspan. Oh, have you played it? No, but my friend Ben has been trying to get me to play this oh my game gosh. for weeks. Should I say yes? You should say yes, but also you should give it like three chances. That is a huge investment, Amber. I have to give it three chances? Well, only if you feel bad about it the first time. You oh, can't okay. judge it the first time you play it okay. because especially if you're somebody who's intimidated by complicated games. Some people are just like, I do not want to have to learn this whole, all these different rules, but maybe it'll be easier if you're playing with somebody who knows what they're doing. He seems really jazzed about this game. You'll probably like it then. Okay. All right. Would you recommend I watch a video about how to play beforehand? Maybe would that help? I do think that would help. If you Google it, there's this amazing like YouTube that it'll pop up like first thing. The same guy that does that video does the video for Dune. So he's like really good at setting up board games and telling people how to play them. The Wingspan game is great. And it's also hilarious because it's all based off of like different birds. And so you, you learn about birds, you're like collecting birds, you're laying eggs, you're doing all this stuff, but you're actually learning about these different birds the whole time. He's pitching me on the birds basically. And it's funny because they actually have you like manufacture this tree house just to set up the board what? game. Like they oh give you God. a cardboard tree house just to roll the dice in the That's tree house. That's amazing. And then there's also an app. And the only purpose of the app is to play the bird sound of the bird that's on your card. Oh, it has nothing incredible. to do with the game. That's incredible. It's also like a very positive game because anytime that you, you never land on a space or something where, or pick a card where it says something bad happens to the other people that you're playing with. It's always like, if you're getting something good, everybody gets something good. (laughs) Or if something bad happens to you, it's happening to everyone. Can you win though? Does someone win? You can win. Yeah. Cause you're kind of like collecting eggs and you're collecting all these different things. There are all these different ways to get points and they all get tabulated at the end of the game. So it's fun. And it's like very pure. It sounds very wholesome. It's super wholesome. That's great. Okay. Well, maybe I'll say yes. Do you have a pump up song? I go for Lady Gaga and The Weeknd every single time. Yes. Do you have a specific album by Gaga that you gravitate towards these days? Album? No, but I love Born This Way. That song and her voice and that song, she just like belts it out. And I, I could just like listen to that on repeat. 
And then I also love that one in the movie that she did with Bradley Cooper and Blanking oh, on the Name. Oh, Shallows, yeah. Shallows. That's not mm-hmm. like a happy pump-up song. No, but it is like, whoo, it's a force. Yeah, it's yes. a force. And then I love really anything by The weekend, And mm-hmm. I think his album, Last FM, is probably my favorite. Cool. I don't listen to The weekend much by choice, so I will have to... I'll have to try him Like out. you avoid The weekend? No, no. I mean, like I... I hear him and I'm like, that's good. But I'm never like, ooh, I'm going to put on the weekend. Oh my gosh. So I good. Know. So yeah, I feel like now you got to get like into it. Okay. And for this is my last question for you, which is so sad because the time has truly flown by. But what would you title your memoir? Let's see. I think I would call it Chameleon, which sounds like, sounds like I'm some sort of like sinister person that's changing myself all the time. But I actually think my life has been a lot about change. And mm. when I was young, we moved when I was like eight years old. Like my life was super stable until that age. We lived in the same house. I had all the same friends. I went to the same school. And then we moved when I was eight years old from Ohio to Indiana. I had to make all new friends. Oh my gosh. I switched schools several times for various different reasons. Wow. So I was like never at a school for more than two or three years from that point on. And then obviously went to college, but even in college, I worked my way through and I'd spend one semester like working at a Delta faucet of all things and then coming yeah. back to college for a semester. And so it's like every three months, my life was changing. And like, I'd have a different roommate when I came back, lived in Indianapolis for a few years after college, and then moved out to the Bay Area, not knowing anyone. I feel like I've just had to constantly kind of reinvent myself, create new friends, and just adapt to different circumstances. And then I would just call it chameleon just because, um, yeah, it's just you have to kind of adapt to your new environment. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, I really love that name. And I feel like you're in a chameleon moment right now where you're on this whole new chapter with everything you've got going on in yes. your life. And so you get to do it again. Yes, exactly. So that's great. Yeah. Aww. If that one isn't available, you could always call it like my life with Buka. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yes. Yes. A little less punchy, but A little less punchy, but I'm sure she'd adore the attention from afar. (laughs) Yes. Amber, thank you so much for coming on Non-Technical. Where can people find more about you? So you can follow me on Twitter. It's Amber Illig, A-M-B-E-R-I-L-L-I-G. You can also follow the Council Capital on Twitter. It's just the Council Cap. You can check us out on our website, www.thecouncil.co. Thank you so much for having me today. My God, it's my pleasure. And you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, or at non-technicalpod on all three as well. Amber, such a treat. Also, it, it's even more clear to me why we're friends after this episode. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. <laughs> yes. I, agree. I hope you have a wonderful day and I hope I get to see you soon. Yes, agreed. Bye, Bye. Alexis.